Welcome back, Bridge Builder family, to our final installment of Wednesday Night Lights based off of our series, Killing Sin. In the last six weeks, we've been talking about what sin is and how we can defeat it in our life. And this week marks the conclusion of that six-week series. And this week's message is entitled, Victory That Lasts At Last. Victory That Lasts At Last. And maybe you've experienced ongoing sin in your life that you just have not been able to defeat. And you're wondering, how can I ever shake myself from this awful sin that I keep committing? Whether it's lust, or pride, or greed, or gossiping behind your friend's backs. Whatever sin it is, hopefully this message helps you to find victory over your sin by the power of God's grace. If you do have ongoing sin in your life, you're probably not fighting hard enough. In fact, I know that's why you're not experiencing victory over your sin is because you're not fighting hard enough. Because as we learned last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says that whenever we are tested, God always provides a way out so that we can endure it. And the reason that we don't defeat sin in our life is because we're not finding those exit signs. We're not wanting to escape from our sin and find a way out. That's why we're not experiencing lasting victory in our life. Now, I'm not saying that you won't sin every now and again. Even the Christian sins every now and again. And we are still imperfect, but we are made perfect in the sight of God by the blood of Christ. But in this life, we do still sin. I'm not saying that you won't sin. But the perfection is not the goal here, in one sense. The direction of your life is the goal. You should chase after perfection, knowing that you might not ever attain it. But it's about the direction of your life that you are heading in. And that's what we are aiming for here. We want to continue to trend upward in a positive direction in our battle against sin. And you'll continue to stumble into sin if you make peace with it and you do not fight hard enough against it. And John Owen says this in regards to our battle against sin. He says, if you leave before killing your enemy, you only do half the work. You only do half the work. How ridiculous would that be if you defeated an enemy or an army or somebody that you're fighting against, and you didn't finish the job. You're going in for the final touchdown against the team that you're facing, and you just set the ball down at the one-yard line and don't finish the deal. John Owen is saying here, you have to finish the work in order to fully and finally conquer your sin. Do not leave the enemy half dead. Always be at killing sin. Now, one of the most egregious and public form of executions that has ever been known to the modern world is the crucifixion that the Roman Empire would enact against the criminals who were condemned to death in the first century, of which Jesus was one of them. He was innocent, but he was condemned as a criminal. And this is such an atrocious way of crucifying and killing people, is that you're about half naked. You were suffocating, you were bleeding, your bones were exposed before everybody who was watching you. It was embarrassing and degrading, and on top of that all, it was painful. And when the Roman soldiers would place the body and nail it to the cross, understandably so, the victim would suffer and yell and moan and scream and bleed and holler for help to just get out of this situation, to get off the cross. They'd do whatever it would take to just find some help to get off of this thing yell and scream and moan as soon as the Roman soldiers would put them on that cross. 
But as they stayed on that cross, for hours on end, sometimes up to eight, nine, ten hours, the entire day they'd be hanging on this cross before they would suffocate and die. Those yells and those moans and those screams would become less and less and less and less and less until they passed away by suffocation or by bleeding out. And that's what John Owen compares our battle against sin to. When we initially start fighting against sin and putting it to death, and God regenerates us and makes us Christians by putting His Spirit within us so that we can now fight against sin, we begin to fight against sin in such a way that it battles against us and it screams out against us and it fights against us. And it still longs for us to, to fall back into its sinful desires. But over the course of time, John Owen says, he says the longer you hang that sin on the cross and leave it there and continue to put it to death, the less and less it will jump at you. The less and less tempting that certain sin will become by virtue of you leaving it on the cross perpetually. Now, the difference between the Roman crucifixion and sin in our life is that sin never, ever truly dies in our life. It's always there. It will always be there until we reach Christ in glory and we have no desire to sin anymore whatsoever because we'll be with Christ. So it will always be there in a sense. But it will yell out less and less and less and less. Even like a, a man who was dying back in the first century on the Roman cross, they would yell out even right before they die. And sometimes your sin will do that too. It will randomly jump on you and attack you. And it'll feel like it's, it's, it's overbearing, right? But even in those moments when it randomly jumps out at you, God will provide a way out. But we have to keep our sin perpetually on the cross and we cannot let it down so that it can attack us and jump on us. And as we learned last week, the way to do that and the way to leave sin on the cross is to not make provisions for your flesh. Not give it any opportunity to get off of that cross, but to continue to nail it to that cross. And it's what we're going to be talking about here in a few moments. But don't take my word for it. Don't even take John Owen's word for it. Take God's word for it. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, it would say the following. For we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus. Our old sinful desires and habits and inclinations those desires were crucified with Christ when he died for us when we put our faith in him. They died. We can now fight against our sin. It was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So our sin has literally died on the cross in a very real sense. It's not completely over because this is how God sanctifies us and God makes us to rely on him more and more so we have to fight against him because if God took our sin away from us immediately, there would be no struggle in the Christian life. We wouldn't have to walk by faith and not by sight. But in a very real sense, our sin has been crucified with Christ and now we can fight against it by the power of his Holy Spirit. Whereas before we were Christians, this wasn't even on the cross. Our sin wasn't even on the cross. It was in us, fully claiming our desires. It was who we were by nature, was sinners, enjoying our sin. But now God has put our sin to death on the cross in a very real sense, and we are able to finally conquer it and fight against it vehemently. 
the key to lasting victory over sin, beloved. This is the takeaway from perhaps the entire series. The key to beating sin over the long haul, and not just flashing the pan emotions where, oh, I'm, I, I just got back from Passion Conference, or I just got back from Sacramento Summer Camp, so I'm really feeling filled by the Spirit for the one week that you get back home from summer camp, and you have that mountaintop experience, and you feel like you're never ever going to sin ever again. But what happens after that one week? You come back to reality. You come back to your old friends and your old temptations. You come back to social media and the world. And the, the guy on the cross starts to scream out at you again. Does he not? He thought he was dead. And he starts to yell and scream back at you. And he wants to claim your desires. But if you want lasting victory over sin, it does not just come with a flash in the pan, emotional religious experience that you have at a one-week summer camp. Because, beloved, the key to lasting victory over sin, to continually put sin to death, this is the key. John Owen says. He says, make it your daily work to kill sin. Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin even in your downtime. And I changed that word because in the original language that he wrote it, it was Old English. And that word that he was using here for downtime was your retirement. Even in your retirement, be killing sin. Even when you think that you should be relaxing and chilling and kicking up your feet on a lazy boy watching a movie. Even then, be killing sin and be on the offensive against your sin. Cease not a day from this work. Even when you think that you can relax, that's when you need to fight the hardest, he's saying here. Cease not a day from this work, even when you're on vacation. Even when you're in the basement watching Netflix by yourself. Always have it in the back of your mind to be attacking sin. In other words, be on the offensive against sin, not on the defensive. Be on the offensive. Be attacking sin by the Spirit, employing God's Word to sharpen your sword so that the Spirit can use it more effectively, right? We talked about a couple weeks ago. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and that's how the Holy Spirit, that's how He puts to death the sins of the body. But you need to be attacking sin. If you wait until the point of temptation in your battle against sin, oftentimes it is already too late. You must attack sin while it is still at the doorstep and keep it on the doorstep. Or keep it on the cross. Don't wait till it gets enough energy to come back down again. So it can yell out at you again. It's a sense in which it's always crucified the cross and it's, it's always going to be dead. But it can still yell and scream back at you. So be constantly attacking that thing even while it is still on the cross. Be on the offensive in your battle against sin. Don't be playing catch-up. It's already too late at that time. David said in Psalm 51, verse 3, in this psalm that he wrote after committing adultery and proxy murder by sending the husband of the woman who he just committed adultery with to death. He writes one of the most epic psalms in the entire Bible about repentance. After committing these two egregious, horrible sins, he did not trace the serpent he made provisions for his flesh, and he acted on his flesh. But he repented at the end. 
And if you do find yourself in a situation where you have committed an egregious sin, I pray that you repent like David did in Psalm 51. And he says this about his sin in that psalm. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. He knows his sin. He acknowledges his sin. And I think this psalm is implying that he's never going to forget his sin. He will always keep his sin in his sight lines, so to speak. I bet he will not commit the same sins that led up to the sins that he committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah in the future. The woman that he killed, excuse me, the, the man that he killed and the woman that he committed adultery with. Because he's going to be keeping his sin before him from now on. He remembers his sins. And you need to know yourself in such a way, like King David does, that you know where you're most vulnerable to sin. Keep your sin always in the back of your mind. Know when and where and how and with who you're most vulnerable to sinning. If you know these things, you always keep sin in your eyesight. You always remember where you're most vulnerable then you will not commit the sins that you were so prone to committing beforehand. So learn from your sins every single time you commit them. Take notes. Remember where and when and who with you stumbled into sin your last time. And keep it before you like David did from here on out. And you will not stumble into sin as much. I guarantee it. You go on the offensive and not the defensive. Keep your sin ever before you and you will experience lasting victory. And even when sin does seem to leave you alone, maybe you do finally start to experience lasting victory in your battle against sin. You start to think, I'm pretty good now. I can actually start to make some provisions for my flesh, and I can get away with some stuff that maybe I couldn't get away with before because I'm a better person now. Now, honestly, that might be the case. Maybe God has really strengthened you, really sanctified you in your battle against sin so that you are a more efficient, efficient sin killer. That might be the case. But even if that is the case, even when sin does seem to leave you alone, and the sins that you thought were so dead, and you think that that enemy, he's dead on the cross, he's never going to ever, ever yell out at me again and tempt me whatsoever in my flesh. He will never do that ever again. Even when sin seems to leave you alone, John Owen makes a comment about that as well. He says, picture an ocean, a beautiful, vast, expansive body of water, like an ocean, or the Mediterranean Sea. Picture such an ocean and how beautifully still and calm it is. John Owen says this about such bodies of water. I'd like to read it our hearing what he says about this and how it relates to our sin. He says, when sin leaves us alone, we may leave sin alone. That's good news, John Owen. Haven't been attacking me for a while, therefore I can let my guard down, right? But he doesn't just stop there. When sin leaves us alone, we may leave sin alone. But as sin is never less quiet than when it seems to be most quiet, and its waters are for the most part deep when they are still, so ought our battle against it to be vigorous at all times 
in all conditions, even when there is least suspicion. So what is John Owen saying there? He's saying, even though this body of water, representing our sin here, looks calm and still, and it will never erupt into a storm, like it has the potential of doing, when it looks like this, John Owen says, he says, never forget that this same exact body of water that looks so beautiful in this moment is still perilously deep. There are depths to our sin. It can break out in a storm at any moment, and it can scream at us and tempt us and try to drag us down into the old habits that we weren't so good at killing before. This situation may change. It may look still. It may not look like a storm. But underneath, sin is still deceitful above all else. And it will drag you away if you let it. You will drown in sin if you let it. Never forget that sin is still dangerous. And our flesh is still being corrupted, the Apostle Paul says. We're dead to it. We're dead to its desires. We have new desires. But that flesh... It still desires to have us. It's dead in an eternal sense, but in a temporal sense, we still have to battle and wage war against our sin. Never forget that fact, John Owen is saying here. Sin is still treacherous. It will jump on you when you least expect it. When you take off all the barriers and the uh, passcodes and, and whatnot off of your phone that keep you from going on to that sketchy website at night. If you take off those barriers and those fences around your phone, sin will jump on you when you least expect it. Therefore, never forget that sin is just as dangerous as it was beforehand when you were losing to it. And now you think that you're better at fighting it. Sin is the same dangerous, deceitful entity. And I, I learned a, a new word while I was looking up for deep ocean water pictures to put on this PowerPoint this week. And the word was philosophobia. Philosophobia. And what this word means is, as you, as you can tell by the word phobia here, phobia is a fear of something. And philosophobia is a fear of large bodies of water, like the ocean or like the sea. Or being scared of being so far away from land in water that you start hyperventilating. And I don't know about you, but this picture just made me philosophic. Philosophobia is the fear of great bodies of water. Now what I want to challenge you with to close this series is to not be so scared of the body of water. In our case, sin. To not be so scared of the sin in and of itself, of its dangers. There's a certain level of fear that we should have of sin. But it's not the ultimate thing that we should be fearing. The ultimate thing that we should be fearing is God himself. It's God himself. If we fear God rightly, and we desire to please him and maintain an upright life before him, stand before the face of God our entire life, and we've got nothing to hide. If you do those things, sin, you're going to see it exponentially be defeated more and more in your life. 
Proverbs say this in chapter 23, verse 17. Always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Always have a zeal for fearing God and not your sin. Not just one week out of the year at summer camp. Not just after you commit a sin that you never imagined yourself committing and you feel awful afterwards. Always fear God, both in times of prosperity and in times of want. And if you have that mindset, you won't even be swimming in the ocean. You'll be standing on the beach. You'll be killing sin. You'll be keeping that body of sin on the cross where it so rightfully belongs for the Christian. But the key to lasting victory is always fearing God and therefore being on the offensive against your sin that displeases Him. So in conclusion, we finished up our six-week series on killing sin. And I'd like to give a brief overview of each week, one-sentence takeaways from our series here. Week one, the real tragedy. The real problem in our world, beloved, is not a virus. It's not money. It's not X, Y, or Z think, uh, problems that you can think of in your life right now. The real problem in our life, and everybody's life, is sin. But the real tragedy is that we don't fight against sin. People don't realize that their real problem is sin. They don't even want to fight against it. The real tragedy is that people don't fight against sin. Not for the Christian because we will fight against our sin. But this fight is impossible for the non-believer because nothing they do can please God and they can't actually put sin to death. But who or what makes victory possible? Praise be to God that the Holy Spirit dwelling within us makes victory possible and our sinful nature has not been crucified at the cross. And we can keep killing it by the power of the Holy Spirit and we can live a life that is pleasing to God. But when sin is left untamed, it will consume us. We will drown in it, just like that picture of that woman in the ocean. We will drown in our sin if we're not careful. Because sin, when fully grown, brings forth death, the Bible says. The very nature and the very health and the very vigor of our spiritual life depends on our ability to effectively kill sin. Do not leave sin left untamed. And last week we talked about how we need to trace the serpent. We need to trace sin. We need to trace our flesh. And be able to find out when we are most uh, tempted. With who we are most tempted. We need to make a battle plan. A scouting report against Satan. So that we can be on the offensive. And not be playing catch up. Against him and against our flesh. And this week we talked about how. Putting all these things together. In order to experience lasting victory. We must be on the offensive. Sin is deceptive. We can never leave it up to chance. We've always got to be at killing sin. Because if we're not killing sin, sin will be killing us. It's pretty good. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for John Owen for his book and the opportunity to study it digitally with these students. God, may this be a conviction. May your word strike to our heart just like it did with King David. Bring about repentance in our life. Prick our hearts. May we be drawn near to you through this six-week study, God. May we hate our sin. Teach us to hate our sin more and desire to please you and live upright lives before you, even more so than we were before, God. 
So help us. Give us grace. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to study your words so that we can equip the spirit and sharpen the spirit's sword so we can hate our sin and be zealous for the fear of you. We love you, Father. It's your son, Jesus. It's precious name that we pray.